welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. I'm going to look at two uh, passages and two main points from chapter two. So uh, as we've said, there's a lot more in this study book and a lot more in the book of James that we have time to go through just on a Sunday gathering. Um, so we'll just land on a couple of things and then you can explore uh, more in your connect groups or in your own Bible study. So James chapter two, verse one want to read about six, oh, let's say eight verses, and this is in the NLT, New Living Translation. And he says, Dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favour some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes. So I probably shouldn't have looked at you, Tim. Probably should have looked at someone else. Um, and expensive jewellery. Oh, there you go, Tim. Uh, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. Sorry, Byron. Um, sorry. I mean, honestly, sorry, Mark and Yvonne, I've got to say sometimes, you know, Byron's an elder in the church. He's a great preacher. He's a man of God. He's a successful, well-respected local businessman. But sometimes he does look like a bum. Doesn't he? You know, really, let's face it. Sometimes, you know, we're all about helping people, the homeless, the vagrants, you know, and sometimes I thought, oh, look at that poor guy. I better go and look. How are you? Oh, it's Byron. Oh, yeah. He's there. He's got his beanie. He comes in, you know. Um, so, uh, a man of men, of all, to all men, you know, but he does scrub up reasonably well. Like, you know, when he's preaching, he sort of wears long pants, you know, and, and shoes instead of thongs. Anyway, um, he says, look, uh, these people come in with, you know, fancy clothes and then another comes in who is poor, dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, oh, you stand over there or sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom? He promised to those who love him. But you dishonour the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Just as a side thought there, you know, Jesus said it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not impossible. So, you know, you don't have to be afraid of getting wealthy. If God's called you, especially in the business world, then go for it and, you know, vision builders and use your money wisely and all that. But there are some challenges that come along with wealth. And, um, and, and right here, you know, people who are humble in physical, financial circumstances often find it easier to humble themselves before the Lord and receive salvation. And Conversely, if you're wealthy and comfortable, you might not feel your need for Christ and His touch on your life as much. Uh, and in fact, right here, he's saying they go so far as being, you know, stroppy and prideful with their wealth and take people off to court because they got money to throw their weight around. And so we want to stay humble regardless of, you know, wealth levels, yes? Verse 8, yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the Scriptures. Love your neighbour as yourself. But if you favour some people over others, verse 9, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. So 
It's worth noting that James wrote in an age filled with partiality and prejudice. People were routinely and permanently categorised because of their race or their standing in society, whether it was, uh, you know, Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, uh, slave or free. There's a fair difference. Uh, Greek or barbarian. You know, the Greeks called everybody that didn't speak Greek a barbarian. <laughs> so, um, and it was very common to discriminate against people, even hate people just because of their class or their ethnicity or their religious background. So Jesus comes and he throws a spiritual hand grenade into society and then the things that he said and the things that he did broke down walls that divided people because his goal was to produce one one new race, if you like, of humanity, the family of God, where there'd be no discrimination, no divisions. And Ephesians 2, 14 tells us exactly this. Look at this verse. Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. So for primarily Jewish people like James and the early church core members, it was a huge thing for them to associate with Gentiles, let alone invite them into their faith. And as you may know, James presided over the famous Council of Jerusalem just a few years before he wrote this book, where they basically had to sit down and nut out, what are we doing with all these Gentiles that want to follow Jesus? Is this just for the Jews? Is this going to be our... No. And then they realised, okay, we're going to we feel God's love is for everyone. Get over your prejudice, open the doors, let them in. All Jew, Gentile, whoever, whatever, you know. Uh, so in the church, this unity, this openness, that was radical. It was shocking to the ancient world. But of course, the unity didn't come automatically. And that's why James writes to remind his readers that they need to stay committed to this radical love, to this openness, to this acceptance of anybody coming into their meetings and to love them all equally. Now, of course, today, we don't have such clearly defined classes as slave and free person. And Aussies, of course, we pride ourselves on being egalitarian. Everybody's the same, mate. You know, we're all on the same level. It's a level playing field, mate. Get out there, you know, hit a few sixes, have a crack, do what you like, go for it. You know, make some good coin, but don't get carried away. You know, this kind of thing of like, you know, with the tall poppy syndrome, you know, you can go, you know, don't go well, but don't get too big for your boots, mate, you know, or we'll cut you down. Unless you're sporty. If you're a sports person, go for your life, you flipping legend. Yeah, you know, be as successful as you like. But if it's not sport, if you're a politician or you're making just a lot of money, then you just watch yourself. You know, we're all the same, aren't we? You know, and so, um, excuse the extreme Australian accent there try and be a little more cultured. Um, but, you know, so we, we, we go for this in our society, but uh, let's face it, we can still suffer from favouring some people over others. Yes. You know, whether it's their, the size of their bank account that is, you know, attractive to people or, or their, um, their background, the school they went to or their family connections or their looks, their charming personality, the car that you drive, 
you know, that says something in some parts of the world. Man, where were we recently? We couldn't count, we couldn't find a Japanese car. It was somewhere we just counted the, oh, it was in the, it was the doctor section of a private hospital. It was like Beamer, Audi, Merck, Beamer, Audi, Merck. Oh, Lexus, okay, sort of Japanese, but fancy Toyota, you know. Tesla, okay, Tesla, you know, anyways, just certain cars that like you wouldn't want to rock up as a doctor at this private hospital in your Kia, you know, or whatever. It's just so, you know, and then of course clothes, you know, can be a thing or the number of followers you've got on social media and there can be a real, you know, pigeonholing of who people, where people fit in and how important they are and you can be, so this message is still relevant, what James is saying, yeah, because Jesus really loves everybody and he wants his church to reflect that love everybody welcome everybody loved regardless of their individuality you know and of course that doesn't mean the church ends up being just a mishmash of values that everybody comes in with all their worldviews and different moral codes and it's all just thrown together there's still uh you know, or that someone just walks into a ministry position or a leadership position because they're talented, there's still a pursuit of godliness. There's still submission to the ways of God. There's still the Word of God that's got clear uh, instructions on how we live. And so we've got to decide whether we're going to surrender to that and then serve God with our gifts in accordance with His will. Yeah, But the doors of the church should be open. And then we can work through the rest of it as far as how we, you know, we, we fit in and whether we want to line up with the call of God on our lives. But we just want the reflection of God's heart is for everybody to be able to come, hear the gospel, encounter the love of God. Yeah, And so this is the family of God, accepting and loving everyone equally. And it's just a value that we've got to keep revisiting, make sure we pursue it in our heart. I mean, Ruth spoke last week. Um, at some point in her message about the family dynamics when our kids were little, and I get roasted and I get, I try to avoid it, but I can't help it. But because now they're older and tougher and cleverer, they don't like it if I talk about when they're little and, you know, but bad luck. I've only had one life with one bunch of kids, so they cop it. But, um, and she talked about how we do the reward chart to encourage good behaviour and the eyes of the older two would roll, oh, here we go again, because the golden child is going to get all the stars. And they were talking about Luke, who's not here, uh, uh, but he was, you know, a little more naturally mild and tidy and compliant than his psycho, I mean, uh, energetic older brother, you know, um, and, and so they'd sort of, oh, no, he's going to, you know, get all the stars on the chart and all that. But, which was true, and he did, you know. But so we used to have to say, oh, all right, well, it's not a competition. Whenever you get 10 stars, then you get a, what did we call it? A special dinner or something? A special night. You get to choose the meal. And, oh, man, Bethany, I think the kids tapped out, you know, when they're probably 12 or so. But I think Bethany's probably still up for it now, you know, like special night. <laughs> <laughs> like you choose, you know, and you get the wine glass for your fizzy and you get the Wedgwood and the, the menu and woo, you know, Bethany's, if you want to bless it, Justin, give her a special night. Say, I'm giving you a special night, you know, just put KFC on a fancy plate or something. But, um, you know, so we had to, we had to say, right, whenever you get to 10 stars, you know, and so Luke would get there, right? And then, you know, this thing on the fridge would be 
some months old sometimes before some people finally got their 10 stars. But anyway, but the point is, we didn't love one child more than another just because of their behaviour. You know, parents, you just love all the kids the same. They're equally celebrated and admired and loved and appreciated and, you know, you don't discriminate. You just don't. You don't favour one child over another. And we are just reflecting in our flawed way the heart of God as parents, the way He is a perfect Father who loves everybody the same. You can't earn it. You can't improve on it. You can't do worse or better than the person next to you, regardless of how trendy they are or, you know, how well-dressed they are. Byron, you're looking good. Sorry about the comments about being a tramp or whatever. Um, you know, it's just amazing. Like, think, we just a few months ago tipped over, they reckon, to over 8 billion people on earth. And everybody's different. Everybody's unique. And in fact, they reckon over the history of humanity, we've had more than 100 billion people on earth. And everybody's different. That blows my mind because, like, I don't know how creative you are, but you try and do something different all the time. Like in COVID, you know, we couldn't connect and meet and we tried to connect at best. I remember wanting to bless the mums over Mother's Day and I painted uh, watercoloured flowers uh, and made Mother's Day cards. And then for men, I think it was the same year, wasn't it? 2020 or 2021. For the fathers, I made um, leather key rings. And um, Frosty, thank you, he's still got it. Yeah, you crawler. Oh, oh, well. See, that's why he's sitting on the front row. Just saying, Les, don't see your key ring. That's why you're in the back row, you know. What are we saying about no hierarchy in the church? Hang on a minute. I better read the book of James. You can, oh, he's got the key ring. Oh, oh. He's doing the thing of don't, when you go into that meeting, don't go to the front of the head of the table. Just go to the back, Les, you may come. You may sit up here on a throne, you know. Um, you know, but I remember trying to come up with a unique design for every bloke or a unique, I must have tapped out at about eight or ten different designs. So I hope you don't compare because after a while there's only so many, you know, that's the lack of creativity. Just think, God has limitless creativity for unique and he's got limitless love. Everybody, isn't it incredible? I mean, imagine if, if I was God, every 12th person would be the same as the next, it'd be, it'd be really, but you'd look at someone and go, hang on a minute, and they go, hang on a minute, and you'd be, ah! It'd be the same personality, the same everything, you know? But the, isn't it amazing? Yeah, but even twins, eventually, even identical twins, eventually look different and are, of course, unique personalities. And it's just a fascinating thought, isn't it? And God, everyone, He loves, like the Bible says, you're, God's masterpiece, creation, like a master creative artist. And that's you. And, and, and so we, we just have to run into that and, and then think of every other person on earth in the same way. Well, God created them. God loves them. Even if they're a buffed or they, you know, did this to you or did. Ah, oh, we just want to tap into that love that God has for people in such a deep, wonderful way. Yeah. And so that's what we aim for. What James is saying here, yes, we do not want to have any prejudice or discrimination. We, we just want to love people the way God loves them. And then the second point to note, if you jump down to verse 14, is um, uh, real about uh, faith in action. 
verse 14, he says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, Goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. A couple more verses. He says, Now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this. They tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Or more traditional translation, faith without works is useless. So believing in God, mental assent, acknowledgement, just knowing about God isn't enough. But of course, this passage is what Martin Luther really struggled with. You know, the great reformer, uh, he called James a book of straw. He, some, some, now some claim that he didn't even want it in the Bible, which is not true because Martin Luther actually oversaw a translation of the entire Bible. It took him 12 years with some others and into German. And of course, he included the book of James. But what Luther did say was that the Gospels and the epistles of Paul and Peter and John carried the message of the gospel better and best revealed Christ. And so he had a kind of a weird two-level view of the New Testament canon. Um, as you can, you know, pendulum swing. So he was, he was so big on justification by faith. This really rattled his cage, this talk of good deeds. Uh, because Luther was protesting, hence the word Protestant, um, against the works-based salvation that the church was teaching at the time. Right, that they the church was saying to people, well, basically, look, you're only saved uh, if you behave the right way, particularly your offerings to the church, and and this kind of stuff. And of course, Luther wanted people to discover God's love and grace, uh, promising us salvation purely by faith in Jesus. And and so he struggled with this passage because you know you might seem to when you first read it think that it, it sort of contradicts this. Salvation by faith, theology. Uh, but the ideas of justification by faith and then living out that faith with good deeds can easily be reconciled. James is just saying that if you've got a living faith in God, then there's going to be some evidence of that. You know, because at its worst, this is where Christians have rightly been uh, accused of being hypocritical throughout history where you've got people saying, oh, I believe in Jesus and, um, you know, and the Ten Commandments and the Good Samaritan, that's a good story too, and all, but they don't do any of it. And so people will say, well, that's, that's, that's hypocrisy at its best, isn't it? It's just like you read it, you proclaim it, you say you follow it and believe it, but you don't do it. And, uh, and so James is just saying, come on, where's the faith in action? And Smith Wigglesworth, you know, the famous... Uh, uh, healing evangelist, he, he famously said, faith is an act. And for him, of course, he acted his faith out with dramatic prayers of healing and miracle-producing meetings that, you know, people would 
come with all kinds of ailments and issues and he'd see him healed and sometimes dramatically, you know, picking up dead bodies and shouting at them and punching people in the stomach where the tumour was and all sorts of kind of pretty crazy radical stuff and, uh, and that worked for him. Uh, for others, the act of faith might be not as dramatic. It might just be um, bringing someone to church which can actually be quite dramatic in itself because if you read in Luke 5, there's a story there of a, a paralysed guy who uh, has some mates who bring him to church, so to speak. They wanted him to hear Jesus and to be prayed for and touched by Jesus and healed. Um, so they, it says they carried him on his mat. We don't know his name. We could call him Matt, you know. And he's... Um, he's uh, He's carried along and they get to the house where Jesus is. It's so packed out they can't get in. So right there, a lot of people would stop acting on their faith and go, sorry, Matt, looks like you're stuck on your mat. We'll just carry you home. All right, well, we'll go via the pub and we'll give you a drink. But, you know, you've lived like that for a long time. So, yeah, you're used to it. You'll be fine. And that would just, you know, be where they just back off. It's just so much hassle. And But, you know, the story, they, they climbed up got on top of the roof of the house. It says they opened the roof up and lowered him in, which I just love this story. I just love the image, don't you? I just love the fact that Jesus, can you do, I can so, I mean, they, the, the chosen guys should do this scene if they haven't, you know, because Jesus, if they have, uh, uh, you know, Jesus, you can just imagine, he's teaching him as I go. Now, the third thing, you've really got it. And then there's this mess falling down and then there's this guy, hi, <laughs> he can't move, he's just lying on the mat and he's just lowered down, everyone stops, everyone looks at him, just like, okay, just hold that thought, everyone just, can I help you, you know, like, hi, you Jesus, sorry, you know, <laughs> I love it, just get down he comes, um, but you know it says, Jesus seeing their faith said to the man, your sins are forgiven. So their faith was noticeable, visual. It was something that you could recognise because their faith was demonstrated by what they did. And also notice that making a hole in the roof is, you know, wasn't as simple as just moving a couple of cement tiles like we would today or unscrewing a few sheets of colour bond. You know, they, their roofs, as you probably know, where they had timber uh, like trusses or slats of, of some kind and then they had thatch hay and other materials all um, melded together and waterproofed by cow dung, manure. So these guys, you know, are getting their hands dirty, literally, to pull all this apart and then getting him down there. So there's work. There's some works. Their faith is, you know, acting out in, in, in this way. And you, you could say, you know, sometimes to serve God and even to bring someone to church, you've got to get your hands dirty, figuratively speaking, like they did physically. But look at the result. You know, first of all, his sins are forgiven. That's the first thing Jesus says, with, which rattles people, but he just shows his priority that that's the most important miracle the guy could receive. And then he says, oh, but I've also got power just to show you guys that I am actually the son of God and I have the authority to forgive sins. So, yeah, Matt, pick up your mat. You can walk now. Oh, 
And the guy, he's just instantly healed. And it says, he goes home praising God and people were utterly amazed, it says. And they said, we've seen remarkable things today. And isn't that the result when someone's living out their faith that people's lives are touched and they go, wow, well, that's remarkable. That's different. That's, that's really what life should be. Not like, oh yeah, well, that guy's life's just the same as it always was, but now he goes to church. Oh, you say you're Christian, but you're a hypocrite because you do what everybody else does, you know. No, 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 there should be a, a difference. And there was a radical difference in this guy's life. And that's the result of these guys obeying God, acting on their faith, doing good deeds, not in order to get to heaven, not to earn their salvation, but as a result of it, yeah? And so, of course, we might not have to go to that extent to bring someone to church. And, you know, we're probably not going to have such a world-famous healing ministry like Smith Wigglesworth. But there are plenty of ways that each of us, depending on our gifting and our calling and our circumstances, can show our faith, act our faith, that our faith will be revealed in in lifestyle choices and good deeds, like just obeying the Word of God. That's a start. You know, it's easy to read the Word of God and it's easy to flick over the uncomfortable pages and passages. I just want to find the nice comforting ones. But there's a lot there about how we should respond to God's call on our lives. You know, like being faithful in your marriage and, and, and encouraging one another. You know, just in... In relationships, it's so easy to tear people down, to rip into them, to be resentful in your marriage. That's the person you said you're going to love forever. And then there's other people who are like enemies having a go at you or doing, well, Jesus said, okay, even them, love them, forgive them, bless them. So there's just a lot of good practical obedience to the Word of God that we can live out, isn't there? And then, of course, praying for people, that's that requires some effort sometimes, some action, some time commitment, witnessing to people, sharing what Jesus has done in our lives. Uh, you know, practical things like helping someone move house or picking someone up and giving them a lift somewhere, visiting someone in hospital, praying for them, proclaiming healing scriptures over them, forgiving someone who's treated you badly. That's faith in action. So when you see them, you don't avoid them. You actually can graciously be pleasant to them, <laughs> you know, uh, giving like generously, financially to God's house, God's work, uh, blessing people with meals or taking someone out for coffee if they're going through a hard time and making the time to say, now what's going on? Can I help you? Tell me, do you want to share and I can pray for you or help you find some help or, you know, using your particular gifts to serve God in the house of God. You know, there's so many things. You can, you know, instead of saving up just for a holiday, you can save up for a short-term missions trip and commit your time to go and bless people in different culture or a different country. In fact, not just save up for a holiday, you can save up and take your whole life and go for a long-term missions trip and go and live in a, another country if that's God's calling, whatever it takes. Practising hospitality. So many people are just desperate to be loved and, and brought into someone's home for a meal or maybe to stay, even if it's just short term, just to bless them with your love and, and practical, you know, hospitality gifting and so many different things. So in other words, we don't just talk the talk. We, we the live life of faith walks the walk, yeah? A practical outworking of faith that goes beyond 
lip service or, or, or you know, mental assent. So, so a, a real Christian belief, James is saying here, should lead to real Christian behaviour. And of course, the, the heart of all that is just a heart that says, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm humble, I'm repentant, I'm open, I'm surrendered. You know, Chris, Jesus said in Matthew 3 verse 8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And so when we're truly repentant, it's not just, oh God, I'm sorry, so can you save me and get me to heaven? And I'm just going to do everything like I would normally do on my own. You know, real Christian commitment to God is changing, repenting, turning around from doing things our way to saying, Lord Jesus, touch my heart, Holy Ghost, fill me, move on me, produce in me gifts, fruit. So producing fruit, you know, this is like kind of basic and obvious, but, you know, you get a tree that, like we've got an orange tree that was doing pretty well until the trees behind it onto the north side grew up and it was producing fruit nicely uh, and then it just stopped because it doesn't get enough sun. So it's useless. Stupid orange tree. You know, it's like, what, what, what good idea. I mean, anything's green, but you're supposed to produce fruit. I mean, we had an orange tree in our first house in Sydney and we didn't plant it. Someone planted it like 20 years before. It was amazing. I didn't do anything to that tree. It was so well established. I didn't, none of this citrus food, anti-aphid spraying stuff, all the, I used to sell all that at the nursery. People would come in, we've got a citrus tree. We need this dust and, you know, the, the dust stuff and the spray and the citrus food. This tree we used to have every May, I think it was about May, we just had oranges. Just incredible, you know. And then the idiot tree up the road here now just needs sun you know well of course it's not his fault he just of course he needs sun so what I'm saying is in the right conditions fruit comes naturally so all this thing about behavior and good works it's not like right God I'm gonna be good I'm getting out there I'm gonna be a Christian gonna pull someone's roof open and drag someone to church it's like no we don't want you to wreck the roof you don't have to you know bash someone I'm bringing you to church the pastor said I've got to drag someone to church you know it's not an effort is it because fruit just comes naturally in the right environment and so and that's why we're told in Galatians 5 that the Holy Spirit produces character qualities in us and it's called fruit because that's the way the Holy Ghost works you know he doesn't say right I'm coming in clear the decks it's gonna hurt bash bash make oh oh you know he's like no no he's gonna grow inside us and we just, we repent, we turn to God, we make the right conditions, we let the sun shine in, you know, and the fruit comes. And so I find that encouraging because when I read, you know, passages like James, I can easily think, right, what have I got to do? Come on, I'm a bit task oriented. Right, I've got to serve God. I've got to make this happen. Ah, but then the yoke is easy. Jesus gives us a light burden. It's not too hard for us. God doesn't ask us to do stuff that we can't do in Him, with His power, with the Holy Ghost, producing fruit, yeah? So be encouraged, you know? On one hand, we've discovered here today that, oh, God loves us all. That includes you. We want want to love without prejudice like He tells us to. We want to keep the doors of our heart and our home and our church open to people, but also appreciate God loves you just the way you are. And then as a result of that, the good works that we're told to do is not a result of effort 
or earning something from God, it's just a natural outflow, yeah? So we do then consider, well, what does that look like for me? You know, what, you know, what does it mean for me to be fruitful? And that is different for different lives and circumstances, yeah? But let us, let's love without prejudice, amen? And let us live beyond ourselves for the Lord, for others, so that our faith is demonstrated and fruitful. Amen? Praise Him. Come on, let's pray. Wonderful. We thank You, Lord. Well, we thank You for the power of the Holy Spirit. And we thank You for today and what that means, that 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 day of Pentecost, Holy Ghost, You came to make the church work, to provide the fuel, the power, the direction, the fire, the passion. We can organise meetings and gather and have structures and plans and procedures, but we need You burning inside us, Holy Ghost. And when we think of what James tells us, Lord, we want to, we want to obey, but we want to do it with your leading and your power, not out of works, but works flowing out of a heartfelt faith. Help us, Lord God. Help us to love unconditionally. Help us to put our faith in action. Holy Spirit, touch every life. And again, I mentioned earlier today, just in a moment of prayer, if you're here today, you don't know Jesus personally I invite you to pray a very simple prayer. Being a Christian is not following a set of rules or attending church or being a nice person. It's a relationship with God through Jesus. That's why Jesus came to earth, died on the cross in our place so we can be forgiven for our sin. That is a barrier between us and God. So if you need to give your life to God, you come simply with faith then pray a prayer of commitment to God or come and see me afterwards and I'll lead you in that prayer I want you to have that opportunity to establish your relationship with God and to walk with Him day by day and that's what life is at its best just walking with God following God being blessed by God all the way to heaven thank you Lord Jesus help us all to step deeper into that relationship Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.